following podcast contains spoilers for Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. Welcome to a world that only exists at night, where heroes are found in the strangest of places. A world populated by forgotten classics, video nasties, and the head of their town. Take a look with me at misunderstood geniuses and those who believe themselves to be so. This is the world of the Midnight Screening. Welcome back everyone to Midnight Screening. Today's episode is Tim Burton's 1990 gothic classic, Edward Scissorhands. With me as always are my friends Josh. Yo. And I. Bonjour. Anyway, today... So today we're talking about Edward Scissorhands, and I have a personal history with this movie. I don't know if you do, do. Can't say define personal. I, as a person, have seen it in the past. I mean, if that's as far as you go, then that's not exactly a story, is it? Well, I mean, we we analyzed. I don't know if you remember this, Nathan. We analyzed this film. What was it like? Third year. We did. And oh, it was. It just was an awful experience because the film is just chock full of symbolism. So, our, who was it we had? Whoever a teacher was, was like every scene pausing the film and be like, and this hand here symbolizes how Edward has no hands. Oh, you see this hand, it symbolizes. Yeah. That is, yeah. Oh, we I completely understand. Yeah, I've done, I've done Psycho multiple yeah, times was, in film. The shower head symbolizes an eye. It's like, no, symbolizes she's dirty and she's. No, the, the shower. The shower head lines up with the eye and with the drain. Yeah, in Psycho. Um, it's like pausing right at the, like, the murder bit. What do you think this symbolises? The girl is dying. That's what it symbolises. But yeah, with... Uh, with um, yeah, because we did Edward Scissorhands, also Jaws. Um, I think Edward Scissorhands is both the perfect movie for that and a terrible, terrible choice for it. It's, yeah, because it's just chock full of like, obvious, purposefully obvious symbolism. That's it. Stuff. Yeah, yeah it's a people, Tim Burton movie. Yeah, people try and analyse it, thinking they're geniuses for pointing out how the castle on the hill is all dark, whereas the suburbs are nice and bright, showing the contrast in the two personalities. It's like, well, yeah, it's not subtle. You, you didn't have to point that out. That's, yeah, two, two weeks ago, we spoke about uh, David Fincher and how uh, he likes to, you know, he has his symbolisms and his satires, but he doesn't just spell it out for you. You know, you got to pay attention. Tim Burton is the antithesis to David Fincher. <laughs> Tim Burton has no time for subtlety, and I love that about him. But yeah, it makes it does give his films a like a uniqueness because usually Absolutely. if you had that much obvious symbolism, what you'd end up with would just be something very bland. But it helps that they're funny. Yeah, yeah, but not like he's a he's sense. a funny guy. Yeah, like. Yeah, there are these weird, especially this one. These are weird, like, satire. Yeah, like Twin Peaks with jokes. Twin Peaks with jokes, sure. That, that, let's go with that. Although, I think this is before Twin Peaks, actually. I don't know, when did Twin Peaks come out? Twin Peaks... Oh, same year. Oh, what month, though? <laughs> I don't think that's enough time to be influencing each other. 8th of April was Twin Peaks. <laughs> July was Edward Scissorhands. So Twin Peaks was slightly before Edward Scissorhands? Yep. But yeah, like, I'm gonna, I feel like explain a little bit about myself here, a little bit about um, how I ended up here. This movie. Why, <clears throat> yeah, why 
I think why I kind of do what I do, where my sort of influences come from. This was my favourite movie for a long time as a child. A child, child, like primary school child. Which I think, um, having not seen it since I was a child, before doing this rewatch, really struck me as a strange, <laughs> strange thing to be watching on repeat. As um, a 12 year old, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I first, I can't remember first seeing it. I must have been like four or five. And then I, I think I kept watching it every other month until I was like 13, 14. Yeah, that is weird. I didn't like this film until I was in high school. Really? Yeah. I just think it was like really boring. Because it's such a quirky, like weird film, you know? Yeah, it's a much slower film than than I remembered. Yeah. Because it's boring? Because I wouldn't even call it. I, I, Again, like, I'm going to put flat out now, I have a bias to this film, like, <laughs> because of, it's got such a strong connection, personally. This was, I think, the final cut I made when we did our, our uh, top ten movies for What Now. Mm. Like, I had to choose between this and Pulp Fiction, and that, like, gave me an aneurysm. Wow. You... <laughs> like... <laughs> okay, sure. Um, Ultimately going with, with Pulp Fiction, but... Yeah, I wouldn't even... I wouldn't use the word boring. I would use slow. I wouldn't use boring. Because I think the quieter scenes are so chock full of, like, really darkly comedic dialogue. Yeah. You know, they're full of, like, yeah, that suburban, like, fake happy, everything's fine, <laughs> Stepford Wives type stuff. And I love that so much. I definitely get what you're saying. I think with this film, the slowness is kind of what makes it it. I think you yeah. know, if you hear there's going to be a film that's about a guy who gets found in a castle all alone that's not a real human with scissors for hands, you, you get a lot of preconceived thoughts about what's going to happen and what you're going to watch. I think this film t- kind of just brings life to the character, showing that he's... that it's just people. Like, it's not some sort of other world where this this being exists. It's just you know, casual 1950s American suburbia, and then yeah, this thing happens. And I don't want to say Tim Burton's gone for like more of a realism type of vibe, but he's not. <laughs> he's made it purposeful. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think he's made it purposeful that the most out of the world thing in this is that character, and the rest of it is basically normal, just maybe a bit exaggerated at points. Yeah, I feel like it's. Burton's version of suburbia is like I've I've read a lot of like Tim Burton's poetry from before he was like like pre Batman. Um and he deals with a lot of this kind of themes there as well. I think it is that kind of the perception of living in suburbia if you don't like bright colours and sitcoms. Yeah. So like now what do you do? <laughs> You know, everything becomes really, yeah, boring and scary because there's just nothing left if you don't like those, like, you family values type concepts. That makes sense. Guys, I'm starting to think this whole film just a metaphor for how Tim Burton feels when he he goes to a normal suburban rural town. Yeah, my one big issue with the film, Edward is totally just teenage Tim Burton. Like... (laughs) No one understands me. It's not a phase, Mom. <laughs> you know? yeah, I'm just going to take a guess that Tim Burton didn't have scissors for hands. 
But again, no, it's a it's a metaphor because he was a god. <laughs> I can't promise that, but I've got a feeling, you know. No, no, yeah, this is definitely like, yeah, Tim Burton turned his like angsty teenage whinings into art. Yeah. Did Did Tim Burton grow up in like a suburban neighborhood or something? I think he did. Yeah. Because like you could almost see it as Edwards. House is his house. Well, sorry, not his house. His room inside his house. Because I'm guaranteeing, if he lived in a suburban house, his parents were probably like the suburban people. So his room was Edward's castle. And then the rest of suburbia. Yeah. The reason it's so exaggerated is that's because in the mind of a teenager, they're all like creepy. You know, the lady down the street. Oh, she's you know Christian. No, she's not. She's crazy Christian. Then there's, you know, all the other people. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just had that I think, um, just to know. Yeah, because Tim Burton... Tim Burton as, like, a, a, a person just fascinates me. Because he is, like... I think he's the gateway into, like, weird cinema. You know? Yeah. He's far... He, he's, he's a very traditional filmmaker when you really get down to it once you've, like, gone past sort of the threshold of his work, but he is, yeah, what a lot of, like, teenagers discover. But, like, yeah, he did, he grew up in the suburbs, the quite, like, a relatively well-off family. He worked as an animator at, like, Disney. Yeah, I think, you know, he's just... He grew up in suburb California, and his dad worked in a cat-themed gift shop, so he was probably very out of place. For a lot of his childhood, I'm going to yeah. guess. Yeah, he had a very normal upbringing, but he also loves like weird avant-garde French cinema. As you do. So yeah, um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a clash there. I think a lot of his films deal with it. You know, both versions of Frank and Winnie uh, deal with that quite heavily. Beetlejuice. Um, yeah. I feel like there's an obvious one I'm forgetting. Corpse Bride. Corpse Bride, yes. Corpse Bride, yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't think of Corpse Bride. You could probably argue the same with Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I almost feel like the the awful Christmas at the end of that story is what he wishes Christmas was. Um, yeah, that's we've, we've spoken a lot about Tim Burton here, which, I mean, most likely end up coming back to at some point. Probably. But, yeah. um, but let's go into to the topic of, of this video in particular is uh, Edward Scissorhands. So let's talk, let's talk about... I want to talk about Johnny Depp. Okay. Or, in this movie. Uh, in the movie. Okay, cool. That's yeah. <laughs> this, this time of the year, probably to avoid him as a topic, you know? But Nah. I feel like... Yeah, he's an interesting man. Uh, but no, Johnny Depp as Edward Scissorhands. Um... I'm trying to have a word my question, almost. Unless you've got a point. I think... His acting in this film is so weird. I think it's weird. Every time I watch it, I'm both impressed by his acting, and I can also see that he... It would surprise me if he half-assed the whole thing, you know? <laughs> I think... He's either put a lot of effort into being that kind of, like, weird character in this, or he's just kind of half-assed it and not bothered pr- properly thinking about what the character would do. So, yeah, 
he's, I think he's so childlike. You know, he's so like wide-eyed and naive the whole time. He yeah. definitely half-assed it. Which I think. He definitely. I don't think. I think it's it's not a Johnny Depp performance. Like it's not a Jack Sparrow or a Ed yeah, Wood or whatever. Yeah, if you. But I still through, think it's a good performance. Dark no, 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 no. Even Dark Shadows. <laughs> Dark Shadows is half fast. If you look through Johnny's career, he'll have a couple of great movies, and they'll half-ass a movie, and they'll go on a streak. Like he was like before Edward Scissorhands, he went on a streak of uh, Blooming Nightmare before Elm Street. Cry Baby and um, Jump Street. He was on a streak. He did great in all those things, and then he half-assed Edward Scissorhands because he can. I wouldn't say he half-assed it. But I, it's 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 def- it's a good performance. It's just Edward isn't a character that needs a bravado. <laughs> like he, he doesn't need to be yelling at the rafters and doing the whole flamboyant stuff. He's a quiet introverted scared character and I think he I think he nails that I think a good way to point out how he's not really half-assed is if you do watch it through the film you can see the character of Edward Scissorhands progress and then de-progress towards the end as well just like progress and how he's adapting to human life like at the start you know he, he does that kind of like shriveled up he's got that kind of body language that kind of idea going on and you see, for a bit, he starts to open up, and the character seems to almost be a bit more normal. Especially, I think a good scene that I always forget is when what's the kid's name? Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. Takes him to show and tell, and you've got you got Johnny Depp somehow with keeping like the same straight face, doing like ninja poses and all Love that. that stuff. So, and then you see him again towards the end as he as he starts to like regain almost the really wide eyed, but not not as much the naiveness yeah, more. After the uh, the break in and curiosity, yeah, and you do you do see it. So I think a lot would surprise me if to find out he did half ass it. I highly doubt that. A lot that of it probably does have to do with they filmed this in California and he had to wear like layers upon layers of makeup and full leather under the California sun plus studio lights. So. <laughs> If there's any scenes where he, he yeah, where he stops, uh, it almost looks like he stops caring. I think it's because he can't breathe. Didn't he That'd throw be a up? Fair assumption, I think. Isn't yeah. that the story? The the scene where they're chasing him uh, at the end of the movie, like they filmed it so many times that he like yeah, he stood to the side, threw up, and then went yeah, went back to do it again. So I think yeah, he, he a... was committed to the performance. Like I think that's literally <laughs> pour water down his throat because he was that dehydrated. Yeah. Like this Man. must have been a rough year for the guy, which oh, shows the the um. I think the passion that had back then to, yeah, here's a weird thing we want you to do. Fine, <laughs> like I'll do it. He did. He did weird things for Tim Burton. For Tim Burton, yeah, this yeah, was the like... start of. To to quote um, is it something like a hot? Uh, this could be the the start of a wonderful friendship. <laughs> Because, yeah, these two just did not stop making the weirdest stuff in either of their careers together. And they brought in Helen and Modem Carter. Yeah, the trifecta. Mm. Yeah, they have some weird films together. I was going to say, yeah, their collaboration together led to my favourite of Tim Burton's movies and my favourite joint debt performance in the same film is Edward, which is the next film they did together. Mm. 
which I will definitely force into fitting our criteria at some point. Of course you will, because that's what this show's about. It, it, yeah, it's, movies, it's me gushing no, over movies. Yeah. He's the, the ringmaster. What he commands, we obey, apparently. Yeah, and occasionally I'll treat you with an Edward, and then every now and then I'll force you to watch Dragon Ball Evolution. <laughs> There's not another... F- Sorry, we get our coffins for a thinner every now and again. There's not another film with Dragon Ball Evolution. Anyway, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> I think another thing in this film that I genuinely, I think, love is Winona Ryder. Because I think everyone's ideas of Winona Ryder are for sure the gothic chick yeah. films, right? But for some reason, and for some glorious reason, Tim Burton decided, you know what, you can play the bubbly cheerleader with a blonde wig. And it is genuinely one of the greatest things in that movie to me. It's just the idea of Winona Ryder, of all people, being being I that think character. that shows how weird Tim Burton can be. That, yeah, Winona Ryder is normal. <laughs> and it yeah. works. Yeah, and she, she she's so good well, in this movie. Yeah. I think a large part of that as well will come down to like the overly weird script almost. Like she's although she's playing a normal character, she's playing it in a very weird It's normal fashion. for the world the movie takes place in. If you throw that character in, in a yeah. different movie, she's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I think one of my favourite like shots in cinema history, just down to the absurdity of it, is Winona Ryder just spinning around in the snow. With um that incredible Danny Elfman score, like it's so, <laughs> mm. yeah, it's it's ridiculous. This is where Nathan gushes over. Danny I'm gonna, you knew I was gonna, um, yeah. yeah. I'm just waiting I've, for I've, my I've, time. I've pleaded my case multiple times to Josh in the past. Danny Elfman is my favorite film composer, and I will hear no argument against that he is the best. John Williams. Like, I get that it should be John Williams or Hans Zimmer or um, I've forgotten the guy's name that did the Sixth Sense score, but whatever. I'd put, I'd Elf, he's just he does the same thing every time, <laughs> but it just always works. Like it's those violins in the choir, but it's just it's got this. Damn, atmosphere to it. It's creepy best. and gothic, but also really like inviting. I think this is one of his best for it. Like it's really wholesome and nice sounding, but with that like when the movie gets dark, the music shifts just slightly to get that tone. And that's what I love so much about Danny Elfman, is he's always on that razor's edge of this is nice and fun, but don't you know, don't cross me. <laughs> I mean, the guy did the Simpsons theme, you know? Like, it's got nothing to do with my point. I just wanted to point out that Danny Elfman did the Simpsons theme. <laughs> to be fair, I do, like, the the song that they play during it's, that snow bit. It's so it's, good. It's always weird, because I will always associate that song with Christmas. For some reason. Like, I know, well, I know the reason. <laughs> the snow. I can't listen to that song and not, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, like, to me, that, that part of the score is... It's definitely just a straight also, up Christmas song. It does. It's got that little. Okay, it's those those uh, violins. It's almost the opening to What's This from Nightmare Before Christmas, which again makes sense because Danny Elfman. 
and the fact he he kind of just writes the same song for every every moment in every movie. <laughs> but I think yeah, I think that's my favorite moment of of Danny Elfman's score and Danny Elfman's score being used perfectly in place. It's everyone understanding what we're doing here is a heightened, ridiculous thing, but we're gonna all pretend we're taking it seriously. And that includes that includes Joy Depp and Winona Ryder, uh, and their performances in that moment, and Anthony Michael Hall, who comes in to attack them. What a that you want to talk about weird casting choices? Forget Winona Ryder playing the normal girl, Anthony Michael Hall playing the bully. Yeah. I don't even think he's. I don't even think he's bad in it. I just can't not see him as his character in the Breakfast Club. <laughs> I think he is. He he is good in Edward Scissorhands again. Like I don't think he's a bad choice. He's just in my head he is. Awkward. Yeah, he's the yeah. awkward character from the the John Hughes movies. I think that that kind of adds to it as well to an extent. I think a lot of the cast in this film is almost purposefully done like that. You know. It it almost lures you into a false sense of who people are. Well, you could yeah, you could even say that with Johnny Depp at the time. He was yeah, like a heartthrob yeah. type character type actor, and then he's like a disfigured machine. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's probably just part of the joke, I guess. Yeah, I think it it changes it up though, and I think it it does that thing for that Tim Burton's after, where it's kind of skewing with reality because this if you cast your traditional choices it would make the film more normal and more actual normal than his wacky normal if you know what I mean so I think by doing the casting choices he did especially with you know Winona Ryder and Anthony Michael Hall what you're getting there is what is on surface you'd look at and just see see these construed characters but if you're looking at them as the characters and not actors you would get you know, your average high schoolers in that kind of area, but then the, the character choice and the way they act, how it's, it all kind of blends it all together to make the film what it is. I think there are a few small changes you can make throughout the whole film that would just change the entire the entire feel of it. Yeah, I mean, you could even, like, <laughs> this is going to just be us talking about the weird casting choices, but this movie also features one of the most iconically creepy men in cinema. And he plays a sympathetic, like, good character. Robert England? Vincent Price. Who? Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Now you lost me. The inventor. He plays the inventor, yeah. Who the hell? Why is he, like, a creepy... Like, where is he creepy? Do you mean, where is he? He is Vincent Price. No, I mean, like, in, like I've never seen a movie with him in it. I don't think. Oh, yeah, brush up on your classic horror. An icon of like B cinema horror, and he's like <laughs> this really sweet old man. Just want you to son. Yeah, is that yeah. his final performance as well? Um, no, he was in a couple of things. I'm looking just on his IMDb here. A couple, like, three things after. Yeah, nothing like big. But nothing, nothing major. All it's that Twilight years there. Oh, he narrated Ghost Ship. That's fun. Well, something I want to ask is, Ty, you seem to have a very con- different opinions mm-hmm. than we do on this film. So yeah, was, take, take the floor. Take on, the man. floor. What do you mean? Why do you hate the film so it's much? It's not that I hate the film. It's just, it's, it's not good. In my opinion. 
Now, obviously, you guys have a very different, especially Nathan, have a very different history with this movie. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I, I don't know, I just, I decided from a very, like, like, from, like, quite soon after the get-go that it just, I really didn't enjoy the film. Even to this day, like, Ashley loves the film. And I just look at it and go, just, it's not great. I, but that's fine. People can have a personal thing with a movie. That's absolutely fine. It's just if someone's to say to me, "Hey, do you want to watch Edward Scissorhands?" I'm like, "Nah, my head out. See you later." That's just me. But, just interested though, like what, mm. like, because it is a weird movie. Like I, I understand it. If you know, it's just what is it that doesn't yeah. like work for you? Um, I think just a bit of everything. It's just like, it's. I understand Johnny Depp plays weird characters. Maybe the one and only writer thing did, like, tilt me a wee bit. It's like, ah, this is weird. But it's just, the whole tempo of the film, just, maybe it is because it's slow. Maybe. But then I like a, I like a, a bunch of other slow films. I really don't, it's really hard to put it into words. I just, like, sitting down and watching a film, you know, most of the time, unless, you know, you're watching certain films, it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice experience. And especially, like, Edward Scissorhands, I believe, like, the main, was the main focus it to be, like, a blooming, like, a nice film, like, a guy, like, getting accepted into society, kind of. Even though it's... Oh, yeah, even uh, though, uh, until yeah, it's not. <laughs> until it's not. It's just the little things, like... Hey, you just met a guy with really sharp fingers. I'm going to put him on a waterbed. Hey, I'm a horny housewife. I'm going to try and do a guy with really sharp fingers that could literally murder me if one wrong move. Oh, hey, I'm a police officer. This guy's just physically attacked a young boy. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to let him run into the castle that's really close to the neighbourhood I'm meant to be patrolling. I think... Yeah, you had, you do bring up a good point. Um, just just something. Again, this, I think you're trying to. I'm trying to. It's you're trying to apply logic to this. Film. <laughs> so I was going to no, say. I'm not yeah. trying to apply logic. I'm not trying. Maybe yeah, a little bit because this film it's not so out of the box that you can't apply logic to it. Like applying logic to a film like, Blooming Inception or something like that, or Tenet. Trying to employ logic to Tanet, probably pointless. Or Godzilla. Don't apply logic to Godzilla. It's a giant nuclear dinosaur. Don't apply logic to it. Well, that's the that is the thing, though. I think... Is those movies, I think, do make... Probably make more logical sense if you are willing to sit down... I've tried and, to like, analyze them. Godzilla. Yeah. It's impossible. Well, as... Well, like... But here, here's the thing, though, Ty. In that movie, they apply their own logic to Tanet. That's it. They, they're creating backstories and things that although it's not physical real world logic in that sense of that world it is logic where in this film tim burton doesn't even bother to try and explain how how edward scissorhands was made he's just like there was an inventor he was good at his thing yeah. so he wanted a kid so he made one right he doesn't delve into that because that's not what the film's like about kid, and i think what you're talking he made about a fully is grown man he wasn't yeah, looking for a child but he's also not a man he's he's more a machine but again, what what's happening here is your problems. Like, why would they try and do this with the scissor hands, man? Why would they do that? Is your, I think, trying to apply way too much like real world logic into it all. And 
because the film is like yeah I don't know I think it's an exaggerated version of it. real world it's yeah, it's, a, it's a very heightened really very heightened like it is they took normal bog standard suburbia and some suburban neighbours are like this there's a crazy Christian lady it is like a hairdresser's like everyone talks to everyone about everything it is a lot like that but if you're going to bring a world where it's just even slightly heightened sense of reality, you're going to have to expect people to like analyse it like a real world thing. It's not that crazy to think a guy I... could create a guy. Like, you can create a machine. Yeah, you can. Hi, can so... I present you with my. Uh... Having, having had this movie as a big part of my life for, for, mm. for well over a decade, my crazy theory as to what it all actually means. Okay. Right. I don't think I'm, I'm going to blow anyone's mind by saying I think it's a metaphor. <gasps> right. No way. I, I think I think we were all on the same page there. Um, but rewatching it. This time round, um, and it might just be because I'll date the recording a little bit. We are very much in the midst of the conversation around that Lil Nas X video right now. Are we? Yeah, you know that. And the shoes. Don't forget the and shoes. The shoes. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about. The, the video. The um, the video where he's a uh, he gives Satan a lap dance. Oh, I heard about that. <laughs> Oh yeah, how he's um, sued by Nike. Yeah, yeah like well done, mate. Fucking idiot. I bring that up Sorry. as just a. I bring that up as just a, a recent example of, of okay. this exact yeah, thing yeah. happening. Um, you think quite it's a, a while after Satanism? Resistance came out. Not Satanism, um, inherently, but the idea is that. So what happens in Edward Scissorhands is he's a weird thing, right? He, it's a weird. He's a weird person who's then brought into the mainstream suburban context. After a little while, they're all concerned and confused, but then they accept him, they all love him. And then the second he's remotely dangerous because he's been corrupted by them, they all act like they never wanted him here in the first place and he's evil and he's shunned and then he just goes away. I think that could be applied to, like the conservative reaction to a lot of like controversial music and film and things like that and the way that these things end up becoming to the point where conservative Christians can look at them and be like, oh this is problematic and dangerous and all the kids have it and see it because it was pushed up on a pedestal by the same group of people a few months earlier. But now it's dangerous, you know? Yeah. Like, it's... and that sort of self fulfilling cycle of creating something for your. so you can be offended, so you can be the hero. Yeah. It's society. It's um, a metaphor for society. You, society tried to force you to live within their boundaries, and once you don't, you're dangerous and should be eliminated. But. but th- yeah. Because I find it interesting being by Tim Burton, because, I mean. If you want to look at a filmmaker that in the late 80s was completely embraced by the mainstream entirely, but also seen as like the spawn of Satan, you've got the guy that did Beetlejuice in Batman 89. Like, 
Yeah. You know, like I, I think it's interesting that this came out even before Batman Returns because it's almost his way of saying, you know, I didn't make the action figures, right? I made the movie. Well, like what do you, mean by you that? did you, like, because the the Tim Burton Batman movies are they're controversial because they're violent and depressing and weird, and then they had like McDonald's Happy Meals, you know, made for them. I mean, if and targeted towards children. If you look at the comics, it literally starts off with two people getting murdered. No, yeah, that's it. Like, it's a it's an acceptable version of Batman, sure, but like people, they become controversial because of their marketing towards younger kids, and they're not kids' movies. Right. And I feel like much in this. I watched them as a like, kid. <laughs> yeah, much in the same way that like Edward did nothing like inherently wrong. Everyone else did, <laughs> you know. I mean. It's their treatment of Edward that makes him dangerous. Like he's not he's not violent. Like but people get hurt because they put him in situations where he now Yeah, he's out of his element and now yeah, now people get hurt because of course they do. Like again when he when he cuts uh when he ends up cutting Kevin's face, it's because he's like he stops from getting hit by a car. You know, like that, yeah, I think it's, and this whole thing is a metaphor for like, yeah, yeah, filmmakers like Burton himself or like metal bands, like what would happen to like Iron Maiden and ACDC right before this and um, right after guys like Eminem, that they're only controversial because they're mainstream and only mainstream because the mainstream allowed them to be. So why is the mainstream now offended? Yeah, I went deeper on Edward Scissorhands than I did on Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I do it's going to be like that. Yeah. I don't understand where you're coming from, but shit. <sighs> Whether or not it's a successful satire of that is up to debate, I think. Um. No, it, from where you're coming from, the, the whole society will try and make you live within their boundaries. If they don't, they'll try and eliminate you. You're right. But how it was gone about, I don't know. I just... Yeah, uh, that's weird. Um, so that does that does lead us to the central question, though, boys. Is it is this movie worth watching? No. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I've I've met quite a few people like you, Ty, that haven't liked this movie. But I think even I think it's worth everyone to watch it at least once. And if you don't like it, fair enough. Like, I'm not judging you for not liking it, I was just curious. Mm. I think everyone should see it at least once. Yeah, I think I'm with Josh on that one. It's one... Yeah, it's it's worth seeing where you personally stand, whether or not this works for you or not. Mm. Um, but Ty, I'm guessing you're still going to say no. Yep. But follow-up question. Okay. You, you've probably seen this coming by now because you know how the show works. Josh, is this a midnight screening? Sorry, that question shocked me a bit. I, I thought you were going to ask me how my day was. Oh, uh, um, no. No. Um, it's fine. No, I don't care, um, really. It's a midnight screen. I think it's a midnight screening if you're with a group of people that already know they like it. I think it's a film you can put on your chill to at the end of a long day if people are going to enjoy the film. I think if you're with people that haven't seen it yet or are like Ty and don't like it, I wouldn't recommend it for that. Okay. So it's a very it's a, it's a tentative yes. question. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Mm. How was your day? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, is this a midnight screening though? I'm going to agree with Josh's point. I'm not saying it is. Personally, I wouldn't watch it. But if there is a group of friends that like it together that want to chill, sure. But, see, that's where I'm at. Like, I want to say no, but if there's like a group of guys that all like the film, a group of people that all like the film, then why shouldn't it be? It's the logic I used on Dragon Ball Evolution. But do you know what? I'm going to be fair. I'm going to use the logic I used on Dragon Ball Evolution. It's you, a group of people you're friends with, having a few drinks, watching some movies. By that logic, yes. Even though I hate to say it, yes, it is a midnight movie. That is, um, I feel like, yeah, it's worth bringing up. No, just because you said it. It's worth pointing out. I'll just quickly say, if you were to bring it up and say, oh, we're going to watch this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get absolutely shit-faced. Me personally. But I'm not going to tell you guys, no, we're not watching it. I think um, it's worth bringing up in, in general that whenever we're doing this part of the show, um, just because we say we don't like something, like, we don't recommend something, and you like it, that's fine. If you don't like something we all recommend, that's also fine. If you want to... No, then you're wrong. <laughs> if, um, no josh if like yeah and again if you just love a movie that we think personally doesn't work as a midnight screening but you're still like no me and my friends meet up and watch this all the time that's cool like it's you do i think i said it in my wandavision video like i genuinely love seeing people enjoy something more than i do like that's that's great um anyway i've not answered the question um Nathan, is I would say, thanks, Ty. Um, <laughs> I would, I would say yes. Um, any very particular setting. Um, this movie, I don't think it's a minute screen on its own. But if you're doing a few movies, you know, it's uh, it's winter, right? You've all got like some hot chocolates. You put on Edward Scissorhands first, you know, at like ten. Yeah, to get into like that mindset, you know, it's 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 winter, you know, we're getting into the kind of the fun vibe of it. But then you put on like Gremlins, you know, or Die Hard, or you know, something. I think, I think I'd go with the opposite of that for you. Like, I I, I think I'd go with Edward Scissorhands more like the wind down one to kind of like chill out to then. You know, after your Gremlins uh, or Die Hard. Either way, we're agreeing it's a double biller type midnight movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. or if, if you're with a group, but like if it was me and you just hanging out, I think you know Ty wasn't there because he's doing his own <laughs> thing. Then I think we could, yeah, off, you know, because we we both love the film. But yeah, it's I think for this film, it's a lot more patchy than the definite yes of Dragon. Mm. Yeah, definitely agree. So there, there you have it. Um, our first kind of. Uh, response <laughs> to whether or not a film is inducted into the Midnight Screening Hall of Fame. Uh, thank you both again for uh, coming on and talking about a weird movie with me. Mm. Uh, always thank you to our wonderful editor, Is Prebuilt. Uh, I won't gush over him as much as last time because I know it makes him feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Dude, he loves it really. Um, 
all our socials will be in the description below again follow me on instagram twitter and letterboxd follow these two on instagram if you're listening to this on spotify do check out the nathan it's username youtube channel all these episodes go up on there plus other cool stuff that i'm doing and if you're watching youtube go follow the spotify as well you can listen to the show on the go that'll be fun for you maybe i don't know maybe you hate the show don't tell me that though because that'll make me feel bad tell me that uh it's pretty built links will also be in the description uh all that's left is Josh. Do you want to give him a hint as to what we're talking about next week? I spent half an hour trying to figure out how I was going to do this this morning. Okay. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. As always, you will. I really should have leaned into this. Uh, wow. No, you put that on yourself. The bit is just that you oh, have I to did. do a clue. You've done the sound effect thing, but to yourself. I'm leaning into you, it. I'm doubling um, down. As always, you'll have to tune in next week to find out what on earth Josh just did and why he did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. That is our show. We will see you next week. Bye, guys.